Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. What's up, people? Ready for another freebie? Dude, I'm ready for this one. I am too. This is a good one. This this, this one's kind of flown under the radar. Never heard of it. Michael sent me a book. Yeah. Looked into it. Interesting case. An escape? It's got a prison escape in it? Dude, the best one. Well, not the best. I guess, uh, what was it, Pierre or whatever, the, the bank heist one? He, he was the best His at escaping was the, everything. Just, it was the, the coolest escape, but this is the most impressive escape. I think even more impressive than like the Ted Bundy escapes. This shit was a death row escape. We're talking like what? uh, Late 70s. Yeah. Okay. Late 70s in the highest security prison. You just don't hear about people escaping from death row. No. For reason, because it's (laughs) by far the most, (laughs) the most uh, high security. Right. Exactly. And it's hard to coordinate because you're like, you know, you're kind of isolated when you're in death row. Well, not if your brother's there. I guess not. Uh That's where they fucked up. You got to separate them dudes. Yeah, they should, right? Because you got somebody... I I was thinking about this. I was like, it would be much easier to escape from prison. It wouldn't be easy, okay? But it would be easier if you had a couple... If you just had a couple ride or dies, like guys that you could, without a doubt, depend on to Mm -hmm. do their part of the thing. I think that's what kills most prison escapes, is one guy rolls, Somebody's kind of half-hearted into it. Yeah, somebody's like, oh, I don't think I could do this. I'm hoping this falls apart. Right, maybe if I turn now, I can just tell them our whole plan and I'll get off for free. Really, that was their downfall all along, was that they entrusted somebody that wasn't one of their brothers. That's That's a great point. And then that's what ended up getting them caught again. That's right. Later on. Should have kept it in the family, Briley's. Right. Yeah, we never never really had like a family of serial killers like this, have we? Like, Uh, Dude, I don't think so. Brothers that are killing together and... I'm sure there are. I yeah. just can't think of them. But yeah, I mean, yeah, head. you're right though. Behind bars, if you want to escape, to have you know, you got to have some rider die. dies. Yeah, because you got all the time in the world. If you can mm-hmm. trust them to sit around and plan this shit, absolutely, you can make anything happen. Obviously, this is like a very, but you can't do it alone. Movie you, style escape that they did. It's you pretty can, impressive. But you cannot do it alone. No, as one person, you got to have some. You got to have people doing their part of the plan. They had a mastermind and a brilliant, a brilliant criminal in Linwood. The yeah. older brother was that dude. Yeah. Uh, you know, He's he mastermind the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely. Was, he was the catalyst to this whole story. And I think without him, you don't have this story. You don't have his younger brothers would never become what they became. He was a, the worst influence ever. I think he <laughs> was the, the, yeah. be, the biggest case for uh, nature versus nurture. Uh huh. That's it, there's so many things that are interesting about this case. So let's just dive into it. All right, let's do it, man. I was sure they were gonna kill us. Really? They were nice kids. I, mean, I want to talk to the governor. They committed every crime there is in the book. It was one of the worst crime sprees in Richmond history. The Briley's father. There's a black justice system and there's a white. There's two Richmond. There's a white Richmond and a black Richmond. It wasn't, it wasn't a justice, man. I mean, he's always plotting and planning and going around just like you would uh, on the street, getting involved with other inmates. They wanted to be the ringleader. Linwood Briley was placed in the execution chamber at uh, 11 o'clock, and he was uh, pronounced dead by the attending physician at 11.05. Was not the animal that the press made me out to be. I, of course, chose to escape because I'm innocent, and if you're innocent, I believe that you're supposed to be free.
right, so our case this week is the Briley Brothers. Like I said, never heard of it. Uh, we got a book from good old Jack Rosewood again. Hey, you can't go wrong with Jack Rosewood. You can't, man. You get like, all you get all the information you the need. The king of meat and potatoes of true crime. It right also there. didn't hurt that there was an amazing YouTube uh, special on this. Well, it wasn't made from you. It was. It's on YouTube, but it was. Right. It's, it's called Born to Kill. Right. <laughs> everything. I don't know. Listen, everything is on YouTube. Yeah, that's <laughs> YouTube creates everything, right? No, they just pretty soon it. they'll be our. It'll be like the the ruler of all. I think. I think YouTube is just going to have every channel on it, and it'll and you will subscribe to where you want to subscribe, and that'll be how you get TV. It's getting there, right? I mean, and, and the name is so ironic. From the very beginning, from like, what, 2005 or 2006 when it came name. out? YouTube. It's like a brilliant name. Like, they had this plan the entire time. Yeah. It's like some Black Mirror shit. Right. Anyways, that's just something I've been thinking about with YouTube. You know, <laughs> you know what? You just actually sparked something in my brain uh, with that Black Mirror comment. I had a dream. Uh-oh. Last, uh, not last night, but the night before that actually got an idea. You, somebody can steal this and run with it if they want. Right. But I had an idea. It would make a great Black Mirror episode. Okay. So I had this dream and essentially it gave me this idea that uh, like for say a Black Mirror episode, say Google or one of these big companies, probably Google, comes out with this uh, device that you put on while you sleep. And ultimately the device has ulterior motives, of course. So they sell it to you and the reason for you buying it is it's supposed to teach you things while you sleep. Okay. Like you put this device on like while what, you sleep. For instance, like a language. Like say you want, yeah. So you wanted to learn a language, or okay. say you wanted to uh, learn some courses for school. Like, right. You have a test coming up, and you want to learn more about a certain topic, maybe ancient history or whatever. Uh-huh. It's programmed to teach you these things while you sleep, but ultimately they're trying to sell you shit. So like while you're sleeping, you have this thing on, and they're advertising things to you, and then you wake up and you're like, I want this thing. Right. You know how like you'll be talking about something, all of a sudden you'll see an ad for what you were talking about on your phone. You're like, how yeah. the hell did this happen? Super creepy. Yeah. So this stuff's happening more and more. Google's gathering information on us all the time. Yeah, I mean that's how they would pay for these apps that teach you in your sleep is through ads, mm-hmm. and the ad would just pop up just like it does in a podcast or like any or an Audible book or yeah. whatever. So I could see this being a book, like a really inter- interesting book, like a yeah. George Orwell type book, or an episode of Black Mirror, one of those things. Definitely that, an episode of Black Mirror. For Someone sure. could steal that idea because I want to watch it or, or read it. <laughs> I'm not going to make it happen. <laughs> I'm not a writer. <laughs> I've always thought it'd be a cool profession though to be a writer. I, my, my grammar's horrific, though, if you've ever seen our tweets. Yeah, but that's why you would have an editor. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's all good. You have yeah. good ideas. Shit, all these people that do autobiographies and stuff, they just basically sit in a room with a real writer yep. and, and just like pitch, you know, just tell their life story and the well, writer dude, writes a great it example, look at Bill Burr. Yeah. I mean, he's not, <laughs> he doesn't know anything about grammar or etiquette or whatnot, and right. look at the show he's putting out. And right. he's got, you can tell he's a big part of that writing group. Oh, dude. Oh, for sure. It's yeah. gotta be. F is for family. Yeah. If you haven't watched F it, it's a great family. show. Yeah, sorry. Just All right, so we got off uh, sidetracked yeah. already. Shocker. So the Briley, <laughs> the Briley brothers. In 1979, brothers Linwood Briley, James Briley Jr., and Anthony Ray Briley went on a seven-month killing spree in their hometown of Richmond, Virginia. Richmond sounds like a very nice place. This was shocking at the time. This killing spree was scaring everyone because it was, seemed so random. It was on bad parts of town, good parts of right. town, and just violent. As far as the 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 horrificness of these crimes, they had never seen anything like this. No, I mean aside from like civil war, like that's how far back you'd have right. to go to see this type of of slaughter in oh, this small town. That's so that's what we that's how we got to where we went on that side rant was the YouTube uh, thing we watched mm-hmm. called Born to Kill. Yeah. There's an older guy from Richmond that was talking about how we hadn't seen violence like this and all that. But yeah, yeah. if you want to learn more about this case, watch that for sure. Born to Kill on YouTube. Great documentary. On the Briley Brothers. Phenomenal. Obviously, the book we got from Jack Rosewood. You want to uh, see what it's called? It's called yes. The Briley Brothers, The True Story of the Slaying Brothers by Dwayne Walker and Jack Rosewood. True Crime by Evil Killers, Volume 8. 
Right. And if you know Jack Rosewood, Jack Rosewood's all the meat and potatoes. Yep. Um, we liked, we love to use his books as skeletons for cases, but honest, honest to God, if you get that book, plus watch that documentary, you're going to have a great uh, yeah. grip on this case. Or listen to this podcast. And plus listen to this podcast, because we've done both. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I can't say that I've seen another podcast do this one. I don't know. Did you look into that? I if, did not. If it's been done? I, I haven't heard probably, anything about it at all. But Probably. Sure there's so many done. other true crime podcasts Absolutely. at this point. Yeah. But yeah, it's. I'm surprised it's not more well-known. These dudes were horrific, and it's interesting in that they were three brothers killing together. Plus, they, right. like we said, they had an accomplice. But really, it was yep. all led by Linwood, the older brother. And what's also strange is that they had a very seemingly normal upbringing. They had good parents, like a really sweet mother. Right. They seemed, seemed to even the live father, in a decent area. The picture of the father, he looks very sweet too. He doesn't, <laughs> he just looks like kind of dorky, honestly. You don't think, I'm total speculation here. You don't think the, maybe the dad was a little harder on Linwood growing up and, maybe. uh, and maybe Linwood started retaliating as he got younger, as he got older and stronger yeah, and more I, charismatic. Something. He some, became more powerful and then he kind of led that little army of boys. Yeah. Linwood was against him. E- just seemingly evil always, dude. I don't know what happened if he had some head trauma really young or like you said, something happened that wasn't really in the story. If someone was here's, really mean to him here's, growing up or what, who knows? Well, man. here's my thing, right? So a big part of this story, you don't have to look into it long before you find the the fact that their father locked himself in a room at night. He would lock his, padlock his bedroom door to protect him and his wife from the boys. Yeah, okay. very rare because most even most times, even when parents do have violent kids, they deny the fact that their kid would actually harm them. You know? Yeah, and their kid probably wouldn't. Right. But the fact that he thought that, okay, so that means that means that Linwood at that point is is pushing. He's becoming the alpha in that household mm-hmm. slowly but surely. You He's over, overtaking the father right. as the and leader. When he met, when he does this first act, which we're going to talk about here yeah. pretty soon, out the two story window, mm-hmm. he's sixteen. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he could very well be a, about a full-grown man at yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. And he's learning what he can get away with. And in his household, he's getting away with a hell of a lot, apparently. Yeah, I mean, his dad's pretty much tapped out by the time he's locking himself in his room. And exactly. Just hoping that he's not the victim. Somebody else is, I suppose. Yeah. So Hoping the problem living, will just go away. He's living a life of no consequence. Yeah. And he's also gaining followers at the same time because he looks... Speaking he, of no consequence, think about what he got for that crime that we're about to talk about out the second story window. Next yeah. to nothing. A slap on the wrist, essentially, right. for murder. Yeah. Really. So, yeah. Uh, the meat and potatoes of the story. In 1979, they went on a seven-month killing spree in their hometown of Richmond, Virginia. When they were finally caught, there were 11 people dead, although investigators believe there were as many as 20 victims. A quote from uh, Hanover County Sheriff Stuart Cook, quote, there are homicides and there are homicides. That's brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Some people just got away with words. Stuart Cook oversaw the Briley investigation as a Richmond police major in 1979 and witnessed Linwood Briley's execution. Um, quote, what a brutal bunch of sons of bitches they were. And yeah. so we'll get, we'll get into what made him feel that way. But first, we're going to start with their early lives, mm-hmm. which, like we said, they, they grew Seems up in normal. a pretty good area. They had good parents. And we don't really know how... the. It was led by Linwood. We don't know how Linwood became what Linwood became, but... Let's see if we can find where yeah. the uh, train derailed here. Yeah, so the Briley family had three boys. The first is Linwood Earl, born on March 26, 1954. The second was James Dyrell Jr., born on June 6, 1956. June 6, that's my son's birthday. Oh. And the third is Anthony Ray, born on February 17, 1958. The boys were born into a fairly stable home in Highland Park neighborhood of Virgin- Richmond, Virginia, 
All three were known around the neighborhood as the type of kids who would happily help neighbors repair cars or mow lawns. So yeah. making a little side money. I used to mow lawns for money. Did you ever do anything like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Dude, I was obsessed with Dude, it. Dude, I spent most of my summers working, I think. Right. I think it helped me as like when I, you know, started working a regular job. It did help. It helped with that discipline. Yeah, there was it there takes was, time to learn that. There's nothing like the just going out and making making some money on your own. Right. And then you have no bills, you have no overhead. You don't have to buy food or right. gas. You just go buy, buy whatever you want. It's a yep. great feeling. <laughs> Yeah, dude. I remember I used to buy burritos with it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The general consensus was that they were polite, helpful, and all-around good kids. This opinion, however, was not shared by their classmates. So at school, they had a different, different reputation than they had in their neighborhood. Hmm. At school, the brothers harassed and bullied other kids and were more or less indifferent towards adult authority. The boys had two hobbies, collecting exotic pets such as tarantulas, piranhas, and boa constrictors, and saving newspaper clippings about gang-related crime. Um, So this, I think, was also Linwood kind of like influencing his younger brothers as well. I think Mm -hmm. these were kind of his hobbies, and his brothers, of course, were there along for the ride. It's been alleged, although never definitively proven, that all three brothers engaged in zoosadism? Zoosadism? Zoosadism. Never heard of that. Zoosadism. Zoosadism. Yes. Sorry. Meaning the gain, they gain pleasure from harming animals. What? How have we done? How, how many cases? And we've talked about serial killers harming animals when they're young, and we've never heard the term zoo, zoosadism. I've never I heard like of it. like with either. the zoo part, it sounds like they're harming giraffes or something, not like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not like dogs. It's got to be a zoo animal. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be like a fucking tiger or. <laughs> zoo of These guys are killing exotics. These guys are these going guys to the zoo intense. and they're somehow getting in there and torturing these. Right. They're burying tigers up to their necks. You got to be a tough bastard. <laughs> guy, right? Torturing tigers <laughs> and even fucking mad. gorillas and shit. <laughs> like Ace Ventura out there wrestling alligators and shit. Right. Go get hidden yourself. Zoo sadism. Okay. So, yeah, there's not really proof that they harm these animals. It's uh, the the documentary talked about how it seemed as though maybe they got more off of watching these these um, scary little like a tarantula That's or a I snake too. harming like harmless uh, little prey animals like yes they like, like mice and shit. They like to watch uh, snakes eat mice, which we all. I mean, I kind of like. I was into those stages Listen, for a while. If there's a snake in front of you eating a mouse, you're gonna watch it. Yeah, man, you're gonna watch. Although it. Although I always felt bad for the mouse. Also, if you're a kid, you're definitely gonna watch it. For sure. I mean, come on. That's that's a look into life. It's a, and I don't know. There's something primal about it. And I think they, it excited these boys, especially what, three teenage boys right. all feeding off each other. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. They got off on this stuff. Yeah, dude, me and my friend, my, my, me and my friend used to torture insects and all kinds of shit like that, you know, like dump gas down into a, an ant farm and, dude, and torch no, it. No joke. I thought that was like how you re- legit got rid of ants. Yeah. Forever. I mean, it was My effective. My used to do that. It was effective. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, ultimately they just move they just move somewhere else. But well, you're so much more civil because you poison them. I mean, yeah, I know, right? I, I don't know. I thought gas and lighting the ant hill on fire was literally what you did forever, dude. If you're an insect, humans are just all sadists, really. Yeah. We're, we're fucking <laughs> basically torturing insect them. Sadism. You think it's fun to get uh, insecticide? Freaking your whole family gets just torched by insecticide, right. or like you get poison. Like it's insect genocide, people. Yeah, dude. Like really, What's wrong with y'all? it's all in how you look at it. We draw lines. We go insects are bad, or we do. We draw lines in yeah. living things. And if you believe that we're just another living thing, another animal that has evolved past all the rest of them, it yeah. does seem kind of cruel. If you're an animal or an insect, just hope you're cute. That's that's your only hope, really. Yeah, or big. Like if you're like a butterfly, no, none of us are torturing them. Well, they're harmless. They don't mean any harm towards us. I suppose. And you got like fucking mosquitoes. Fuck all them. Kill them yeah, all. That's true. 
Bees, bees. I do a lot of good though, and then Dude, also you we can't get rid of bees. No, you can't. Definitely no, bees don't do are that. fine. Just you, let bees sting you, people. They don't. They don't sting you unless you're dumb. Like unless you. Thank I've you. never. Knock on wood. I'll probably get stung or this you, week now. Or never been the, stung because I don't fuck with them. Or you're in the wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, like, I got stung by a bee one time when on I stepped on one. At. I stepped on a bee, yeah. stung me. You yeah. know, shit like that. But yeah, unless you're tearing down a fixture with a nest. Wasps. Fuck those bastards. Yeah. Wasps are the worst. Wasp they ain't pollinating shit. Get them out. Yeah. They're just here to torture people. Yep. Get the fuck out. <laughs> All right. Back on, back on track. Their father, James Briley Sr., was un, unnerved enough by their behavior that he kept his bedroom door padlocked from the inside overnight, and their mother, Bertha Briley, eventually split from their father and moved out of the house. Do you think that had something to do with the boy's behavior? Oh, shit. The book brought that up their divorce. the dad look good, for the, sure. The book brought up the divorce, but it didn't really say what brought that on. I, I mean, you have to assume It glanced that, over that divorce. Yeah, it did. You had to assume that, obviously, the, the relationship was then again, problematic, but it could have also... It's really boys, none of our business in that point, really. No. You know what I mean? Because it's the, before the, any troubles happened. My only question is, did the boys play a part in this? Was their scary behavior part of why they got divorced? Maybe the Maybe. mother the mother was getting on the father's case about, you need to reprimand these boys more, get mm-hmm. them under, get them in line or whatever. Right. And he just locked himself away instead. Who knows? But... <clears throat> And how much of a, a role did it play in their development or like their behavior after the divorce? It affects people different ways. Sometimes you know the divorce of parents affects the kids a lot more yeah. than other kids. I think it really affected the younger two. Um, when I talk about, when we're talking about seeing the father the way he was, where yeah. he was afraid and then now his wife has left him and you know their mother. And I think it affected the younger ones in the sense that they needed... A father figure, they needed a strong a man to look up to, someone to aspire to be. They mm-hmm. don't aspire to be the man who locks his door at night because he's afraid of his own sons. Mm-hmm. So who are they going to aspire to be? They're going to aspire next one in line. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's already Linwood. charismatic and smart mm-hmm. and a natural leader. maybe a little bit twisted already. You know what I'm saying? A little bit. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. The book in the, the documentary did say a little bit about how James Sr. was the only person that the brothers feared, but... He also locked himself in his bedroom at night out of fear for them. Well, but that's when he's also vulnerable, you know, he's like if he's sleeping. So, like I said, like what if he was just a little too hard on them? It's possible. Maybe a couple of them. And then when they got older and stronger and he's getting older and weaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, where, where would we hear Listen, it from? If you see your kids working out, work out with them. Hell yeah. <laughs> because, Make sure you stay stronger. No, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not to encourage you. It's so you stay stronger than them. You got to stay a step ahead. When you're spotting them, just kind of push down to the bars instead of yeah. like helping them so right. that they can't get stronger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Keep them down. <laughs> I cut into my son's lane when we Wait, race. You can't lift this? Come on, bro. I'm like, get a, I'll trip him. I don't care. Right. I, I'm not losing. Hey, dude, I don't lose the kids. No, no. In anything. You better. I guess there's like a line. You better fucking bring your A game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they're like, once they get above three, you gotta put them down. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't let their ego get too big. You gotta right. let them know, Dad's what's up. Right. That's you know? right. Listen, my I don't think my dad ever let you win in a foot race. And then once they get to a certain age where they can beat you, and you determine that, it you just don't so compete anymore with them. You're no. just like, I don't need to do that anymore. Oh, sound too. You old remember all those times too I kicked your ass? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even be bothered with it because I know you'll kick my ass. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah. it feels good for them because now it's their turn. Right. There you go. Pass the torch. All right, so let's talk about the thing you alluded to out of that second story window, the first murder in this case. In 1971, the first killing was committed by Linwood, the oldest brother, 
who was 16 at the time. While home alone one day, he took aim with a rifle from his bedroom window and fatally shot Orlean Christian, an elderly neighbor, across, in, across the alley as she was hanging out some laundry on a clothesline. The crime almost went undetected as she was initially believed to have died from nat- natural causes. Orlean's husband had recently passed away, and it was believed that she died from the stress of having to bury her husband. So she was a recent widow. She had, heart, she had heart problems. You know, things things were not looking up for her at the at the moment. She was right. older, you know, and and so a lot when she dropped dead in the backyard, a lot of people, like even her own family, assumed that she had just um, had a heart attack, yeah. partly from stress of her husband dying and all that, uh, until they found a hole on her body. Fortunately, yeah, in her armpit, yeah. which is exactly what would be, would be exposed while you're hanging things up on the line. You know, I was yes, thinking about that. That makes perfect. And I was sense. like, he might have done some research on that shot because you wouldn't bleed as much either. Hmm. There's a lot of benefits, and he was only using a 22. Yeah, if small. you shot anywhere other than a soft tissue part of the body, she probably lives. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's unreal that he he dude knowing Linwood. What we we'll find out about him it, later right? was that he was very smart and very maniacal, and he very very well could have researched the best place to shoot. I really think he did. And then when when she's lying there, when she falls down, her arm's going to fall down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's going to cover up the hole. Yeah, it's. It's it's just crazy. It's just creepy how perfect of a placement that shot was for him at 16. Yeah, so when Orlean's relatives noticed the small bloody mark on her armpit at her viewing, they asked the funeral director, damn, so it was at her funeral. So they just assumed mm-hmm. she's dead, and then at her funeral, they noticed this. So he almost got just got away Scott clean on this. Almost, yeah. Dang. Um, so the funeral director re-examined the body. Upon second examination, the director found a small caliber bullet wound under her armpit. Police were contacted and worked to find the source of the gunshot. In a bit of low-budget forensics, police stood under Orlean's backyard and used a sheet of plywood to re- represent her body with the hole cut to represent the bullet wound. So they did that thing from CSI where they like put the, yeah, I think the it was, stick in. I think in. it was more of a 4x4. Four four. I don't think it was a sheet of plywood. I think it was a 4x4. Four well, they did four, the thing where they right? put the stick in to determine the angle yeah, of the bullet. right. Um, and they determined that the bullet had come from the Briley home across the alley, and they angled it up towards it would come from like the roof or a second-story window. Mm-hmm. Um, police searched the house, and the murder weapon was found. Linwood admitted to the crime with indifference and no sense of remorse, stating, quote, I heard she had heart problems. She would have died soon anyway. Damn. That is scary. That's it. Now, to think he only, he he gets uh, sent to reform school and only serves one year sentence for the killing. That's it. To think of what he said afterwards and his total lack of remorse shows signs of a sociopath. That to me, like you can't give him a year when you hear what he has to say. And was you see he no given a year, or did he serve a year because he got in there and was on good behavior? Because I, if that's the case, I believe that shit. But yeah. I don't know if he was. It, it's never clear if he was given a year from the start. Yeah, or if he just served a year. He was given a yeah, longer sentence because and then he got because of his personality and his intellect. He could have easily went in there and swayed everyone. a bunch of people yeah. and done what he needed to do to get back out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and he was only sixteen. Yeah. And it was the late seventies, you know. Maybe they had a different mindset. Yeah. They probably didn't try to re- rehabilitate him as much as they would. Oh, now. you know, boys will be boys. They'll shoot their neighbors out of their windows. <laughs> yeah, and how much? You have to wonder how much did they do anything to to re- rehabilitate to further his uh, his mentality after he got out? Did they do anything? Like, did they make him do therapy when he got out, or did they just let him out and all right, go free into the world again? Um, early seventies, I'd say they probably just late seventies. Good 79? luck. Yeah. Well, seventy nine is when they got caught. He's he's sixteen here, so yeah. he's this is actually probably late sixties. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, 
James followed in his path. So the, the second brother, the middle brother, followed in his path at, and at the same age, having been sentenced to time in juvenile hall for firing upon a police officer during a pursuit. So he had robbed a convenience store, right? Mm-hmm. And was on foot running from a police officer. The police officer shot at him. He turned and shot back and struck the police officer. Uh, James police officer. was also shot though. James, was he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then this is the this is that part of the uh, story where he runs twelve blocks. Yeah, and and is picked up by a friend or I don't know. Who oh, that's knows. right. Maybe he just freaking jumped in a car with somebody and was like, "Go." That's right. <laughs> James showed how tough he was. Yeah, and determined that he was shot by the police officer and ran twelve blocks and got he in. He hopped a fence and then ran twelve blocks after being shot, and then most likely took a uh, involuntarily Uber, yeah. voluntary Uber. Right. <laughs> yeah. Give a good rating though. Yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> So let's get into the murder spree. Uh, in 1979, the three Briley brothers and an accomplice, Duncan Meekins, who was so Duncan Meekins was a neighbor. He was a younger, uh, he was a little bit younger and very. He was only 16 when he joined the Briley's. Yeah, and they were older at this point. Yeah, and he was very easily influenced by them. He thought they were super cool, mm-hmm. and they kind of took him in under under their wing. And he became an accomplice on a lot of these crimes that they did. And so Duncan Meekins, um, along with the th- three Briley brothers, went on a seven-month series of random killings that terrified Richmond and the, su- and the surrounding region. The brothers were aged between the ages of 21 and 25. And like we said, so Meekins was only 16. So yeah, he's he sees these older, cool dudes. Right. And he's just kind of along for the ride. Their first attack occurred on March 12, 1979, when Linwood knocked on the door of William and Virginia Butcher, claiming that he had car trouble and needed to use their telephone to call AAA. I feel like a lot of crimes start that way back in the day when it was like you didn't have cell phones and shit. I know. Like, Can I use your phone? You always had to make a decision like, it, mm, it's sketchy, I let you in? Man. I told you when I was staying with my mother-in-law not that long ago, somebody came to the door and wanted to use our phone. I'm like, <laughs> it's 2019. Like, right, bro. Or 2018. Like, what the fuck are no you excuse. doing? No excuse. No. Like, there's yeah. a million phones around here. Go find yeah. somebody else. William offered to place the call for Linwood and open the screen door to reach for his AAA card. Linwood used that opportunity to force his way into the home. He held the couple at gunpoint and waited for the rest of the gang inside. Linwood and Anthony Ray tied up the couple and robbed the house, dousing each room with kerosene after clearing it of valuables. As they left, one of the brothers tossed a lit match on the fuel. They hurriedly left with their stolen loot, which included a television, CB radio, and jewelry. So they were just going to burn this couple alive in their home. They yeah, tied them up. There was an act of kindness from one of the brothers. Yeah, I think it was think the it younger one. Linwood. It's not Linwood and it's not James. Okay. It's probably it's the younger one. What's his name? Uh, you remember his freaking name? It's he's on. really not that important Anthony. because he doesn't kill anybody. Anthony's the youngest. Anthony, yeah, yeah, as far as we know. I'm pretty sure Anthony um or maybe Meekins, Duncan Meekins mm-hmm. was probably tying this gentleman up, but he asked, he said, "Please don't tie me too tight." Right. And he left him loose enough to get loose. Go get a knife, cut his wife loose. And, right as the flames were overtaking, and they the house. were doused in light, uh, lighter fluid, <sighs> both of them were. So all they had to do was be touched. Yeah, by the flames. But they got out, and uh, they lived well into their eighties. Yeah, so they're pretty much the only people that survived this this reign of terror yep, that, that the, the brothers um, put Richmond through. And their next victim would be a guy by the name of Michael McDuffie. On March twenty first, Michael McDuffie was a vending machine super uh, serviceman. He was assaulted, murdered, and robbed in his home by the Brileys. There's not a whole lot of information on that. That was just another crime in their spree. Yeah, two they weeks were later, able to tie to him. Yeah, two weeks later, on April 9th, the brothers saw 76-year-old Mary Mary Gowan walking home from her babysitting job. They followed her home and forced their way into her house. Was she the one that was um, 
actually watching her grandkids. I think she had, they had, she was leaving her daughter's house and she was watching her grandkids and they, yeah. they followed her, like they saw her come out the door. Yep. That's what's scary about their crime spree so much is that they literally would just drive around looking for victims. It could be anybody that looked vulnerable, so anybody random. that looked weak. Yeah. Yeah, they would they would and not attack anyone that was that could be a problem for them. It was always not. yeah, they were ultimate predators and yep. they, they were like the the predators they used to watch as kids, you know, the the tarantula attacking something or the snake yeah. attacking a mouse. It was always a a victim that they were looking for, right. not anybody that victim, could fight back. Yeah. And so yeah, they see this 76-year-old woman leaving a house. They follow her like across the city and ended up uh following her to her home and forced their way into her house. The brothers robbed Mary, beat her and raped her repeatedly. When they were done, they shot her in the head and left with many of her valuables. What's scary is that Mary actually managed to survive the attack. After being shot and raped by all of them, she actually oh, like God. crawled up two flights of stairs and made it to her, uh, made it to her, uh, I think, to her apartment or whatever where her granddaughter was there. Yeah, and like managed to tell her that she had been raped before she went into a coma and ended up dying several weeks later. So. She helped Definitely them suffered. Caught, man. She did. She did. She she really helps. That was her way of fighting back at 76 years old. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing. Christopher Phillips, the gang saw 17-year-old Christopher Phillips hanging around their par their parked car on July 4th. So on the 4th of July, um, this guy's hanging around their car. They think he's going to maybe break into their car. Suspecting that he was trying to steal the vehicle, the gang surrounded him and dragged him into a nearby backyard. This scene is so scary. This, yeah. Yeah, so they catch this dude. Who knows? Maybe he was just walking down the street and happened to glance yeah. at their car. You know, sometimes I'm walking down the sidewalk and I'll look into a car just because I'm curious what's in there. I'm not like trying to steal it or <laughs> right. break into just it. Look, just like, like, hey, oh, what's they in don't there? have tinted windows. <laughs> what if I see a body in there and I got to report it? You never yeah. know. Right. You never know. He might have just been walking by and they're just looking for a reason, dude. These dudes at this point, like, led by Linwood or just looking at this point I think they're it's just like a drug to them yeah it's like they're getting all this free stuff they're getting this money and they're also getting the rush of being the most extreme predator they could be yeah. and I and I and think what made them just, different than a lot of people who rob and, and stuff it, it, that happen to kill when they rob is that he, they weren't killing to, to get away with the robberies they were it seems as though killing was the primary motive that's what a lot of the t detectives in this case believed was that they were doing it to kill, and then mm -hmm. the robbery was just kind of a secondary bonus. Like, oh, right. we get some stuff, too. They're out looking to be predators. They're like into killing, at least led by Linwood. At least he is, and yeah. they're along for the ride, like we said. Yeah, so they see this 17-year-old Christopher Phillips hanging around their parked car. Suspecting he was trying to steal a vehicle, they surrounded him, dragged him into a nearby backyard. Once there, the three brothers wrestled him to the ground. When Phillips screamed for help... Uh, Linwood did not take kindly to that. He grabbed a cinder block and dropped it onto... Uh, onto Christopher's skull, killing him instantly. And by drop, they probably mean... You slammed it on Slammed it skull. to the ground. Yeah, so just picture that. Like, he's just walking, he looks into a car, and next thing you know, he's been drugged into a random backyard and smashed in the head with a brick. God damn. And the, the boldness... See, this, this, the, is the, this is, yeah. Like, the yeah, boldness like said, of that This crime. is the boldness of it. Imagine if you just happen to see that from, like, a second-story window or something. You just see this dude get drugged into a yard and smashed in the head with a fucking cinder block. Right. Because you know there were plenty of vantage points. And you, you he screamed, so yeah. that would have drawn someone's attention to it. Absolutely. You know, it's just crazy how, how bold and brash they were. There were several times where they would just, like, there was a lady that they killed, like, in, her, on their, in their front yard or something, wasn't there? Yep. Beat her with a baseball bat, I think. Insane. On September 14th, this is uh, one of the case, the, one of the um, parts of this story that made this case more popular because they killed a well-known man. Um, on September 14th, disc jockey John... Johnny G. Gallagher was performing with his band at South Richmond Nightclub. 
stepping outside between sets for a break, he inadvertently came right into the path of the Rileys. So this guy, John Johnny G, was a disc jockey. Yeah. He was really popular in Richmond at the time. Uh, wasn't it like country music he would play? Yeah, he was, he from, was on a country station. He was from Tennessee initially. Yeah. He was Johnny G from Tennessee. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and a lot of people in the area loved, loved Johnny G. And, and right. on the weekends, he would, he would play with local bands. He played bass. And mm -hmm. he happened to be playing one of these clubs and came out because he didn't smoke, so he wanted to get some fresh air between songs or whatever. Right. Stepped outside. That was, and was, yeah, that was back in the day when they smoked everywhere. <laughs> yeah. That was probably the, the bar was probably a smokehouse in there. <laughs> right. And so he stepped out for some fresh air, and it was just wrong place, wrong time. The Briley's were sitting outside in bushes waiting for anyone to come along that they looked at as a victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had been looking around all night for a victim without success, so they decided to lie and wait for whomever, whomever might happen to step outside the nightclub. Gallagher was assaulted by Linwood and put in the trunk of his own Lincoln Continental. He was then driven out to Mayo Island in the middle of the James River to an abandoned paper mill. There he was removed from the trunk and, uh, of his car and shot in the head at point-blank range. His body was then dumped into the river. The remains were found two days later. When arrests were made in connection with the spree months later, Linwood was still wearing a ring stolen from Gallagher's hand. So he had like a... Man, I think Linwood knew exactly who that was. You think so? Yeah. I think he was like... All right, got I think off we're ready to kill somebody. We're we're ready to kill somebody who who is a low key celebrity. We're ready to kill somebody who is a little more important. Hmm. I think this was on purpose, hmm. and and somebody who's more wealthy. I think because uh, Lim, Linwood really upped his wardrobe. Yeah, with this murder. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was a, a statement. It's possible because and they went the extra steps to get away with this too. Yeah, they dumped his body in a yeah. river and all. They that. They didn't just leave him in the backyard with a cinder block broken around him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they actually went the extra step to cover this up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this this one kind of shook the area, man, because this guy was really well liked uh, by all accounts. A really good guy that would help anyone at any time. Um, everybody loved his, like we said, his radio show. And like the band, when he left between uh, songs or whatever, mm -hmm. like they knew something was up because he was just like a man of his word. If he, you know, he would not just leave in the middle of them, leave him hanging dry, right. to, to finish their show alone without him. And so, yeah, he definitely the police went on a search. And fishermen ended up finding his body like stuck in some logs under under the river, right? Yeah. Like a week later or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so on moving on to the next one on September thirtieth, sixty-two-year-old private nurse Mary Wilfong was followed home to her Richmond apartment. The brothers surrounded her just outside the door and Linwood beat her to death this with is a baseball. What we were talking bat. about earlier. He beat her to death on her front door, like on her on patio her with a fucking yep. baseball bat. Yep. And I want to say, wasn't it during broad daylight too? It wasn't even at night. I think it was. They would put like pieces of tape on their face, almost like a Randy yes. Woodfield type thing. They say that works. It's a, it's like a distraction, and yeah. people can't really say what you look like because they're right. so distracted by the tape. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'd imagine it was really distracting for them. I mean, because these these were black guys, yeah. and they were putting white strips of tape in just random places. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they like well, the guy that survived. The, the couple that was doused in lighter fluid mm -hmm. that survived, yeah, they said that it, when they came in, they looked like warriors. Mm. He's like, that's that was my first instinct. Yeah, that's got to be scary. And it happens so suddenly. That yeah. It's like you're just in shock of what is going on before you know it. You're, yep. You know, you're tied up or you're beaten to death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the brothers then entered Mary's apartment and robbed it of all of its valuables. But just getting more and more brash and, and scary by the minute, man. Just beating someone to death on their front porch with a baseball bat. Right. Blanche Page and Charles Garner, five days later on October 5th, just two blocks from the Briley home, 79-year-old Blanche Page and her 59-year-old tenant, Charles Garner, were both murdered by the brothers. 
Page was bludgeoned to death while Garner was fatally assaulted with a variety of weapons, which included baseball bat, five knives, a pair of scissors, and a fork. And so there was some speculation to this one, whether like there was like special treatment they gave to this Charles guy. Like they maybe they knew him there because he was also known. The book speculated that he was maybe known to sell drugs. Okay. And so maybe they had some run-in with him or he was competition. Maybe they were selling drugs. That's These are things that the police were were curious about, but also they were just There sadistic. was no evidence of them selling no. drugs though, right? Well, no, Charles there was. Charles Garner, supposedly. Yeah, he, Charles Garner, but yeah, not the Brileys. Not the Brileys. Okay. But of course, the police speculated on it uh, that maybe he was a competitor of theirs. Yeah. They didn't really know at the time who was doing these murders, but maybe yeah. because he was involved in drugs that these people, this is some kind of a vitriolic hit against competition or something like yeah. that. Maybe the re-up came up short and it was like, caught me on the wrong day, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, the scissors and fork were left embedded in Garner's back. So it did seem a little bit over the top to the police, even for them. Yeah, they, that was definitely a statement kill. That but was like, another one. But like a lot Johnny of times, G. yeah. But a lot of times what we see with these sadistic killers is that they get more and more Brazen. Brazen, and they yep. get and they get more and more heinous, the crimes, because mm-hmm. it's like they got to take it up another notch to get that thrill. Right. Um, the final victims of the Briley brothers' spree were the family of Harvey Wilkerson, who was uh, who was a longtime friend of the brothers. Ugh. They just took advantage of him, huh? Yeah, and he knew, dude. He knew when they knocked on his door this was not good. On the evening of October 19th, the Briley brothers were celebrating. James had just been paroled earlier that day. When being released, he promised a judge that he would stay out of trouble while out on parole, and then that night, <laughs> back at it again. As it got dark out, the brothers oh, decided to per- peruse the streets for another victim. That evening, yeah, this is how they celebrate him getting out. Let's go find a new victim. That evening, Shirley Englehart, a police investigator, was alone in a surveillance van and heard James and Linwood arguing outside their house about whether police were inside the van watching them. James didn't think so, but Linwood did. The brothers walked up to the green Chevy van, looked through the tinted windows, and started shaking the vehicle. God, can you imagine how scary that'd be, knowing how dangerous these guys are? (laughs) Right. And they're like, you're inside there, and you you just have to stay still while they're shaking it and shit. James fired a gun into the air and into the ground in the yard. If the police were in the van, James told Linwood, they would have stormed out out after the gunshots. That settled the argument, and they got in their car and drove away. Still under surveillance, at one point from the air and on the ground, the Brileys parked that night near a home on 2300 block of Barton Avenue. Officers lost sight of the gang. Upon seeing the brothers walking towards his house, Harvey Wick- Wilkerson closed. That's a, think about how shitty this is because Wilkerson and is murdered with his wife and kid, right? And meanwhile, the murderers were under surveillance the whole day. I know. And the police let them get away and they go out and murder this family. They let them get out of their sight it's, for it's one... It's insane, dude. One instance. Yeah, so... Yeah, so he sees the brothers walking towards his house. Harvey Wilkerson does. He closed and locked his door. Harvey lived with his 23-year-old wife, Judy Barton, who was five months pregnant at the time, and her five-year-old son. Mm. The the brothers noticed this and walked over to Wilkerson's front door. Harvey was terrified by a threat of of action if he refused them entry, so he opened the door. So he's afraid of what they'll do if he leaves the door locked because he knows they can get in. Yeah. Just kick the door down. Uh So he lets them in. Both Harvey and Judy were quickly overpowered and then bound and gagged with duct tape. Linwood then assaulted Judy in the kitchen where she was raped, not far from the rest of her family. When Linwood was finished, Duncan Meekins got in, got in on the action. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, they basically take turns assaulting the pregnant wife. Uh, the three men, re- the remaining gang members, covered their victims with sheets. James, Meek- James told Meekins, you've got to get one, upon which Meekins took a pistol and sh- fatally shot Harvey in the head. James then shot Judy to death. 
Police were still in the area keeping tabs on the gang when and saw Meekins and the two two of the brothers leaving Wilkerson's apartment. They also heard the gunshots but did not initially connect the two incidents. The bodies were not discovered for three days, so they also shot the five-year-old, by the way. I was about to say. Yeah, yeah he mean, was found on the couch. It's a horrible part, but it's it's truth. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. It just tells, shows you what monsters these guys were if you already didn't think they were. When the police were asked to do a welfare check on Harvey and Judy, the scene they found was bizarre enough, bizarre enough but before leaving the house, the brothers had set loose Wilkerson's pet snakes. They were uh, There were also two Doberman puppies who had been left to fend for themselves, so there's all these bloody dog footprints all over yes. the house, snakes squirming around, and so this is making it all that much harder to do cleanup of this house and, and try and get forensic evidence and all that. Animal control had to come and remove all the animals before the forensic team could proceed. Unfortunately, the crime scene was badly compromised by the dogs, obviously. Um, at least they didn't have cats because the cats would have ate, <laughs> probably oh, ate God. the people. <laughs> cats. Oh. Yeah, cats, cat, would, cats would be like curled up on their chests. And cats will eat you when you die, by the way. Yeah, you they didn't already care. know that. Yeah. Cats will absolutely live it's on proven. your body. Yep. Uh, because police had seen two of the brothers and Duncan Meekins leaving Wilkerson's apartment three days earlier, a warrant was issued for all three brothers and for Meekins. When police went to the Briley home to serve the warrants, Linwood, his father, and Meekins left in a car, forcing police to give chase. Linwood was driving and refused to pull over. Uh, police became concerned about public safety and decided to force the car into a pole. Right. Once the, they were also very hard to track because they had a police scanner. Yeah, so what they were doing is they were, <laughs> they're, all, they're all in this car, and, and the police don't know, but basically they were uh, making it hard for the cops' communication because they would say, yep. put on their left blinker and, and get over to the left, and then it's, they, they the, would let as, the cop make that announcement. Yeah, right? as soon as the police would say, turning left onto Brentwood or whatever, yeah. they would then shoot right they would turn. <laughs> and fuck the police communication up, and they kept doing that over and over again, and then when the police finally did put them into a poll, they realized that they had a scanner and that's, they were doing that intentionally. Yep. That's the kind of savvy shit that, Brent, that, uh, that Linwood would do. You know, he was a very got smart away criminal. still. At the expense of his uh, brothers, because yeah. he dipped out of the car and just let it hit the pole. What? No, wasn't his dad in there? Yeah. His dad and another brother? Yeah. Once or the, Meekins. Once the car crashed, Linwood tried to make a run for it on foot, but he was quickly captured. The other two brothers turned themselves into police. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the, inter the interrogation and the fact that we, we mentioned that if, if it would have kept it all in the family, they probably would have been a lot harder to pin these yeah. guys down. Because Meekins was in that car. Yeah. Duncan Meekins was the reason they all went down yes. because they, Remember, they trusted. He's only sixteen at the time. Still. They trusted a young kid neighbor to bring along with all this shit instead mm -hmm. of keeping it in the family, like you said. Mm -hmm. During interrogation by police of Duncan Meekins, he was offered a plea agreement in return for turning state's evidence against the Brileys. Meekins was sixteen years old at the time and did not fit the profile of the Briley brothers. He grew up in a nice home, was a good student, and attended church regularly. He was actually a altar boy. Oh, I'm sure. With the encouragement of his parents, he took the offer and provided through detailing uh, a thorough detailing of the crime spree. As a result, he escaped the death penalty and was incarcerated at Virginia prison away from the Bradley brothers. So he didn't even have to be in the same prison with them, which they, they saved him. him. Yeah, they saved <laughs> they him by doing that. They would have killed his ass. Yeah, don't, uh, oh forget different cell blocks. Put him in a totally different <laughs> prison because that's the only way. Under, under the agreement, Meekins was given a life sentence, which at the time of conviction would make him eligible for parole after serving 12 to 15 years. Mm. So I'm sure he's been out for a, a long time by now. Yeah. The march uh, through October crime spree wasn't the only thing Duncan Meekins talked about. He also provided details about other unsolved murders that had occurred. Prior to Meekins' confession, investigators had not connected what they thought were random acts of crime. The rapes and murders happened in different areas around Richmond. The race, sex, and ages of the victims seemed to be random. 
when looking yeah that makes it so hard right like these yep. crimes just seem like man those the crimes really just picking random, up in the in this city random places you don't you're not thinking it's all the same people when know. looking at the people raped and murdered by the Briley brothers the only major link that could be found was that the brutality and viciousness of the crimes um, was was just so heinous mm-hmm. um, interrogation of the Briley brothers so the interrogating uh, interrogating the Briley brothers was frustrating for the police they were arrogant defiant and liked to push the patience of the interrogators they just act they were just in, empathetic in a much more real Apathetic, in rather. a much more real and scary and dark way this reminds me of the movie four brothers have you seen that where they yeah. where they're all being interrogated and they're just like telling the police to fuck themselves pretty mm-hmm. much like police are trying all the old bags like breaking out a bag of hair and stuff <laughs> like, that's not my hair motherfucker. <laughs> yeah but like it's obviously not funny this is a much more dark version of that right right when questioning linwood about the murder of johnny g gallagher he mocked the investigator and told him that he never would be convicted of the murder because there was no evidence linking him to it. The investigators then brought in a retired detective to interrogate Linwood. He had been a longtime friend of, Gall- of Gallagher's. As the interview began, the detective noticed Linwood was wearing a turquoise ring that belonged to Gallagher. The detective had eventually been, uh, had actually been with Gallagher when he bought it. Yeah, so this detective sees the ring and he's just like he he's too close of a town, man. Yeah, small town. <laughs> yeah, and he explained in the in the YouTube thing we watched yep. about how he wanted to just beat this guy's face in when he saw the, that he was wearing the ring. Just the right. brashness of that to be interrogated for a murder and you're wearing the fucking ring of the guy that you murdered. Right. With the evidence and more, police began to charge the brothers in several crimes and some other murders. Um, at sentencing, all three of the brothers were found guilty after standing trial. A single life sentence with parole eligibility was handed down to Anthony Briley, the youngest brother, due to his limited involvement in the killing. So, yeah, we said Anthony, mm-hmm. the youngest brother, just, he really didn't have a chance. Like, how, what was he supposed to do? Like, stay at home with his parents? I, I just I feel like it would be almost impossible. I, dude, if I your totally two older agree. brothers, where you grow up with them, and then, like, they're if, doing this shit, you're going to be with them. If anybody should get a second chance, it should be Anthony. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Because of Virginia's Triggerman statute, both James and Linwood received multiple life sentences for murders committed during the spree, but also, but only faced capital charges in cases where they had been physically been the one to kill the victim. Linwood mm-hmm. was sentenced to death for the abduction and murder of John Gallagher, and James received two death sentences, one for each of the murders of Judy Barton and her son Harvey. Both were sent to death row at Mecklenburg Correctional Center near Boyton in early 1980. So they get death row, both Linwood and James, the two older brothers. Um, and that's when we get to the escape. One of the, probably the most impressive escape from prison we've ever seen. I mean, we've done a lot of escapes. Yes. There's been really cool ones, like but interesting ones. But most of the escapes have, have taken place, you know, much older time periods for one. Yeah. And like Bundy, he got out of like stupid little jails. Like he got out of a, a crappy little right courthouse in Colorado. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like there was some, like it was it didn't right. take... I mean, he was obviously very clever uh-huh. and made it happen. So Bundy but, did the best he could with no allies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bundy was left to his own devices in a library and jumped out of a fucking window. Like anybody could have done that. And then he went through a light fixture in a in a jail cell or whatever that never should have been there. Right. Like, right. The, why would you put a light fixture in? Why would you do that? Like a square that you could fit a body through. <laughs> why do that? You know. But like this shit took some serious planning mm-hmm. and some serious balls to pull off. And like it's amazing that they did this. They were on death row and they actually escaped from but, I mean, maximum security prison on death row. I mean, you got nothing to lose. Though. You're going to be killed. That's so, that's true. At the same time, that's true. But the fact if you that they sit could pull and it do off, nothing, you definitely die. The fact that they pulled it off is incredible. Yeah. So absolutely. 
So Linwood and James Briley were the ringleaders in a six-inmate escape from Virginia's death row at Mecklenburg. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Me- Mec- you're Mecklenburg. right. Mecklenburg. Okay. Mecklenburg Correctional Center on May 31st, 1984. During the early moments of the escape, which resulted in inmates taking over de- the death row unit, both Briley's expressed strong interest in killing their captured guards by dousing them with rubbing alcohol and tossing a lit match. So they were going to torture these these. Uh, if they go with all these little instincts and all these little bite backs that they were planning on the way out, they I don't wouldn't think have even had it. time to escape, right? They wouldn't have made it. They would have set off a, a fire alarm or something. Yep. Um, but yeah, the other inmates ended up convincing them not to kill these guards, essentially, especially to light them on fire. Yeah. Willie Lloyd Turner, another death row inmate, stepped in the way of James and forbade him to do so. Meanwhile, cop killer Wilbert Lee Evans presented Linwood from uh, prevented Linwood from raping a female nurse. The group's initial... You got to be pretty bad when other death row inmates are like stopping you from doing shit. Yeah, it's like, shit. whoa, dude, like take it easy. <laughs> like these are like, like yeah, known, like we're in here for murder, but take right. it easy. These are known rapists and murderers yeah. are going like, bro, Don't calm, calm down. Calm like, down, take a chill part. Jesus. The group's initial plan was to escape into Canada. Two inmates, Lem Tuggle and Willie Jones, almost succeeded making it as far as Vermont before, before capture at gunpoint, gunpoint by police. They held at... Marble Valley Correctional Facility in Rutland, pending their extradition back to Virginia. Splitting off from the group in Philadelphia, the Briley's went to live near their uncle on the north side of the city. Um, so Right in plain sight, too. Yeah, so this that, was brilliant. That's all happened what, when they got out, but the escape itself, how they pulled that off, was obviously headed up by Linwood right. and his genius. They took months, maybe even years of planning to pull it off, and it took basically uh, ineptitude by the a lot of the staff in this prison like right. just kind of getting complacent i think they thought their prison was so secure especially the the wing of it where death row was like mm-hmm. the death row ward like they just get complacent like and like linwood on several occasions he kind of called the bluff of these these guards like remember he at one point they had he had locked himself in like a control room or whatever or like a, was some kind of bathroom or whatever and he yeah. said that the plumbing was broken and they just kind of went with it and they're like all right let's go to a different bathroom like the guards went to the door and it was locked and he had told them earlier in the day the plumbing was broken so they just kind of like turned back all right whatever meanwhile he wow yeah and he gets into the control room where you can unlock all the cell doors <laughs> you know locks yeah. and then once you get all of that out you you let the all of these death row inmates all out at once, they obviously are pretty easily going to well, get control of the situation. One thing that's for sure is the dude, he's a charismatic dude. Yeah. People wanted to please him and that and that means guards too. Mm-hmm. Like that, that even came up in the documentary and in the book. Mm-hmm. That, that's one thing that was said. Even there were guards that wanted to please him. They would stand around his cell and talk to Didn't him. Didn't he and, like went over his, uh, legitimately like his defense attorney that was appointed to him like, Ended up liking him and like said that he was very charismatic and like he was like not easy to be around Linwood, (laughs) but that probably goes back to being a sociopath. You know, he just absolutely he he knew what to say to convince people of whatever he needed to get out of. He was a con man too. Yeah, he's a con man. That's what it comes down to. But at one point, so they they take control of this the uh, death row cell, a death row ward or whatever the uh, section of the, the prison, and it's isolated, and they get control of all the guards. So the rest of the prison doesn't even know that they've they've successfully pulled off this coup and they've got control of this. Once they take control of a couple guards, they take their uniforms. And now it looks like more guards are in there. So then when guards come in, they're running in un... like not alert because they see other guards just standing there or what they presume to be other guards. Mm -hmm. And then when these guards rush in, those those guards take them over again. And at one point, they knew they needed to go even beyond that. So they ended up putting on like riot gear with Mm -hmm. face shields and everything to kind of disguise their... their, uh, their, uh, characteristics right and then they get a tv 
This shit is amazing. They get a TV <laughs> from, the, from the prison block. They put a fucking blanket over it. They right. get some fire extinguishers. They're wearing uh-huh. all this riot gear and they start pushing this towards like the exits of yeah. the prison. And they're basically forcing these guards to make a quick decision. They're going, this is, we've got our hands on a bomb. Didn't, didn't Linwood call in a bomb threat earlier that day though? That's possible. I think he called in a bomb threat earlier that day. To get them on edge already about it? Yeah, just anonymous bomb threat. Mm -hmm. And so they got this TV with a blanket over it. They've got fire extinguishers. They're spraying the the blanketed TV with fire extinguishers, acting like it's this volatile explosive (laughs) that's going to go off. Let us through the doors. They're like, open the gate. And at first they're like, we can't do that. That's like breaking protocol. And he's like, you want to blow up? (laughs) You're (laughs) going to kill us all. (laughs) Yeah. They force the prison to bring around a van to yeah. get a, to get this bomb into to get it off the premises or whatever, yeah. they take the fucking van and they're gone. <laughs> they just keep driving. Yeah, they just keep driving. Do you think they even bothered to put All the, the way TV to in there? Or they just fucking left it sitting out they, on the curb. They, they <laughs> there you can have this. Like, Good luck, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine how stupid they must have felt when they brought out the bomb crew and it's a fucking old. <laughs> if they kicked RCA the TV, TV off and it blew up, that'd right. be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, and what's crazy is that they kind of hid in plain sight, James and Linwood. Yeah. They ended up going back to Richmond, right? And they were no, like... No, they went to Philly. Oh, they went to Philly. With an uncle. They went That's to right. North Philadelphia. Yeah. And we're hanging out, just cooking out in, a, in an alley. And the, what happened was the police put the uncle under surveillance because they uh-huh. figured that they would end up having to reach out to someone. Well, anybody in that members. area was under surveillance. Yeah. Uh, any family members in that area. Yeah. And they just... They heard a, they overheard a phone call yep. between uh, the Briley's and their uncle and they, they basically traced it to a like a, a, a was it he had some kind of warehouse in Philly where they mm-hmm. were living or garage he yeah he, yeah he had a garage they were living out of and they were just doing little side jobs kind of like blending in with the surroundings they they even got little nicknames one of them was the uh, uh, was it James was slim and yeah. and uh, Linwood was lucky lucky yep and so there's like all of a sudden there's these new guys on the block in Philly and everybody's like yeah whatever that's slim and lucky I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. that's what they, they didn't say they had no idea right? that they just broke out of fucking death row yeah nobody got charged with aiding or and abetting which is surprising yeah nobody in Philadelphia yeah well they, I think the the Briley's were very good at keeping their mouth shut about shit that they need the, the ultimate problem of that course, got them why caught, would they trust anybody else yeah. now yeah the problem the one person they trusted outside their brothership their uh turned over on them yep yeah that's what got them caught yep and so they they ended up getting snatched up in an alley they were just grilling some chicken they were hiding in plain sight like we said yep hanging out just chilling uh, ultimately they got recaptured and they would be executed after they returned to Richmond any chance of appeal soon ran out for both brothers they were uh, both executed in the electric chair at Virginia State Penitentiary in Richmond Linwood on October 12th 1984 and James on April 18th 1985 and James would actually get married uh, while awaiting execution um, to a woman who was very anti-death penalty. Right. And so that was part of her motive was to... Yeah, we speculate that she did that mainly to make a stand. Further her agenda. To be like, this is how much I believe that we can reform people because I've fallen in love with a man who was a killer, mm-hmm. one of the worst killers that we've yeah. seen, and he's been reformed. Mm-hmm. So, well, take care as you want. Yeah, they were both executed in the exact same chair. Um, when James was executed, a crowd of nearly 600 people gathered outside the prison when prison officials asked if James, uh, if he had any last words, he simply, he simply smiled. And I think it was Linwood that always professed his innocence, right? He always said, mm-hmm. I didn't do any of this shit. After he was pronounced dead, officials went to let the crowd know that the court-ordered execution had been carried out. Over half the crowd was there in support of the execution, and they let out cheers of the news. That's weird. So the half the crowd's for it, half the crowd's against it. Well, I think some people are, you just always going to have that crowd that's, you mourn a life, like regardless. Yeah. It's yeah. like it still sucks. Mm-hmm. 
Like, yeah, they were monsters. Tragedy all around. Like, what does this really help in the big, in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. The remaining people were there to hold a candlelight vigil in protest of the death penalty, and they quietly sang hymns. Linwood was su- survived by one son, Norman Laquan Ampey, who later served some time in prison for bank robbery and died in, two th- in 2015. And he always blamed the fact that, you know, this happened to his father mm-hmm. on why he became what he became. But I'd maybe argue that if his father had been around, knowing who his father was, Linwood, his life might have been even worse. You know, there's no way that his father, Linwood, who shot a woman out of his window at 16 and went on to rape and horrifically murder a bunch of people, being around would have been a better influence than his father not being around. Agreed. You know, James uh, James was survived by three daughters who live in Richmond. Three brothers are buried at the Council Cemetery in Bethel, North Carolina. Hmm. I mean, the brothers. So, Linwood and James are buried in North Carolina. Right. That's cool. The youngest brother, Anthony, remains incarcerated at Virginia's correctional system and comes up for parole consideration every few years. So I think he was denied in 2009, last, last article Anthony was? I found. Yeah. He's currently sure. at Augusta Correctional Center. Oh, no, Center. I'm thinking Duncan Meekins. Duncan Meekins, yeah, we were curious about whether he was out by now. He, was, uh, he got denied in 2009, so He's 10 years out. ago. He could, he, could, he could have gotten out in the last 10 years. Well, there was no article. There's newer articles on him, so. <clears throat> so, yeah, Anthony is currently at Augusta Correctional Center, which is about 20 miles outside of Staunton, Virginia. To date, all his applications for parole have been denied by the state parole board. So, Those everybody, guys getting out, man. yeah, everybody involved in this, um, it didn't work out for the two. The two leaders are obviously executed, and the other two were still in prison after all these years. And it was just like we said, bad all around. Bad to be a victim. Bad to be involved. Just sad that uh, the people can be so dark and so bad it's just sad that Linwood was as charismatic as he was was so Couldn't dark use it for good yeah because yeah, he could have like, been yeah he could have been badass at some things he, he could have done anything really yeah, yeah someone was, with that type of attitude and that kind of charisma he could have done anything mm-hmm. he could have been a he could have been a TV preacher and probably made way more money hell yeah <laughs> Ripping people off in a different way. Oh man, <laughs> knocking people down with a suit jacket, slinging it around. Right. We gotta You're talk healed. some. Oh my, we gotta talk some. Oh my Gaia. Yeah, let's talk some. Oh my Gaia. Let's Why heal. do I smell delicious? Let's heal people of their stinky pits. Mm-mm. True crime pine in my pits right now. <laughs> if you don't know what Lauren's talking about, he's talking about Oh my Gaia. Oh my Gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. There's a ton of scents to choose from, guys. One being our very own True Crime Pine. Has our logo on it. Yes. Smells delicious. It'll help you get away with crime. It uh, covers up all scents. Yep. All scents. Uh, there's also vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, uh, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, uh, fireside. And there's there's limited editions that come uh, in and out of rotation. You guys can check those out at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And because you're a True Crime Guys listener, you can use code CREEPER for 15% off. C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off. Right on. Let's do some shout outs. All right, man. I want to thank everybody that goes and takes the time to rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you do it. Even if you just yeah. click five stars and you don't want to write a review. But if you do want to write a review, that's great too. Like we always say, we, we read them on the crapper. It's nice. That's right. <laughs> it is nice. Um, so w- the Stitcher ones we'll get around to. We, we do those like, you know, every month or two. We'll get to those. But I'm going to read the iTunes, not read them, but I'm going to give shout outs to the iTunes people. 
Um, if we missed you, let us know. But I think this, we'll get all of them from the last time we did a free episode. Cool. So I want to thank uh, Nini to get Nini TGG uh, in Great Britain for okay. the five star review. Thank you. Says that they cringe a little bit when we do the British accents, but eh, still get over it. Still like us. They still give yeah. us five stars. Accents for the are harder than they sound. Carry on. And and you know what? We get so many people saying that they love the the uh, accents. So you think the good with the bad. Yeah. Just, Enough people listening that most of you guys, one of one person's going to hate what we do and the other person's going to love it. So what, what do you want from us? Yeah, here's what you here's what we do. We just be ourselves and we just our fans just kind of route their way to us. The yeah. people, the, you know, the people that enjoy it enjoy it. Yeah, just like a lot of people like that we we make fun of the freeloaders and stuff, and then some yeah. people give us one stars and like I'm a freeloader. You know what? <laughs> Grow up. We're just Dude, joking. We're all freeloaders. We're just it's just a little side jab at the way that it's fun. It's our silly. society doesn't pay for media anymore. It's fine. It's, yeah, we wouldn't it's either. Thing. Yeah, I mean, we only subscribe to two patrons. Seriously, and that's just because they're our friends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Shout out to. Uh, and Once Upon a Crime and to Dark Topic. Right. Those are the two that we subscribe to. Um, I want to say what's up to Travis, Travesi, Travisi from, uh, says they're a free cre- uh, freebie creeper from Finland. So what's up? Oh, nice. Hell yeah. What's going on in Finland? Uh, Rosie L76 76 says, well research. Even though they joke throughout the show, they really do a lot of research and give us a five-star review. Thank we you. We appreciate that acknowledgement. Uh, Gorzol uh, says, cheers from Poland. One oh. of the best out there. Five stars. Thanks yeah, so much. Nice. Hell yeah. Poland's awesome. Uh, Doll1234, five stars. Uh, really like the Randy Craft episode. Oh. Thank you. Oh, wow, the, the OG. Yep. The first, first ever True Crime Guys episode. Yep. JustKid7 says, my new favorite True Crime podcast, five stars. Thank you. Uh, Jewel Jag, fun yet very informative, five stars. Thank you. Uh, Flying Spaghetti Monster 1998 says, amazing, five stars. Thank you. <laughs> we make their workday go by way faster. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Laura 07 says five star podcast. Thank you. I think we're four stars, but whatever. <laughs> uh, we're moving up. AMS 484, freeloader and proud, five stars. Hell that's what's yeah. up. See, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. fine. It's we're all we're tongue proud cheek, that dude. you're a freeloader. We're, yes. Any way you listen, it doesn't matter, man. It's all good. Uh, C1M 2S5, great, five stars. Thank you. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Hockey seventy seven a four four a says these turds make good pod five stars. It's <laughs> perfect. Hey, there you go. See, even just write something silly like right, that and make yeah. us giggle. That's cool. Uh, Angel Angelia Hoke, uh, five stars. I love historical true crime. Thank you. Um, Ashlyn Jordan says fantastic show. Five stars. Thank you. Uh, Kelly KC, what's up, KC Creepers? Oh, you know what? There's Kansas a lot City. of you out there. That'll be our first stop if we ever go on tour. It's going to be right. KC. First place the van goes. Yep. Five stars. Awesome podcast. Thank you. Uh, MMK says, great podcast. Five stars. Thank you. And yeah, it's me, Richie, says, awesome. Five stars. Thank you. Thank you all for Guys, taking the time to do that. That helps show a lot. Yeah, it, it really, really does. does. Yeah, we, we recently said we cracked 1,000 and we're climbing again. Let's get to 2,000. Yep. Let's keep going, the man. The only way to help the show more is to graduate from being a freeloader. To be in a Patreon, Patreon. subscriber. Get, yeah, so speaking of Patreon, yeah. go to patreon.com <laughs> slash true crime guys. Patreon for you Americans. Yeah, yeah so it's P A T R E O N dot com slash true crime guys. Yeah. Two bucks a month gets you a shitload of free content, not free bonus content. Yeah, it's not free. <laughs> I mean, it's $2. I mean, $2, though. For less than a coffee a month. Here's no. the thing songs are three minutes and they're 99 cents a piece. We're putting out two to three hour podcasts for 
well, depending on how many you listen to. And you get in on the giveaway. You could win like free, a fraction. You of could that. win shit as well, which we need to do, don't we? It's been a while since we've done that. Yeah, we should do a giveaway. Yeah, we need to do a giveaway for All the right. patrons. So if you're an active patron member, you're gonna go into the giveaway that we're gonna do right now. Mm-hmm. If your name is called, you get to pick anything from any of our stores. And while Michael gets that going, I'm gonna Talk a little bit more about what Patreon has to offer because it also has a show hosted by none other than your Michael from this podcast <laughs> called Higher Thoughts with Michael. And it's an awesome show. You guys, should, if you're a patron, you get access to his his uh, show that he does. He has guests on. He has his wife on. He's had Esther from One, Once Upon a Crime on recently. Yes. That was amazing. We did an hour episode yeah, last dude. week. That was really cool to learn more about her. That was very interesting. Um, they asked each other questions. Completely off the cuff. She, off did, the cuff, she didn't yeah. write the episode for us. So. Yeah. Did she uh, partake <laughs> in anything? Because you obviously are in a certain uh, state, and I think, I think she doesn't smoke, but she had maybe right. a couple shots of whiskey or something. Funny thing, she never has. Never tried it. Yeah, I heard that. That's crazy. Yeah, she's uh, never. Yeah, but she had a little whiskey. Never puffed a the whis- chiba. A little whiskey and a coffee. Yeah, right. You know? So, yeah, we're going to uh, do the giveaway right now. Oh, one more thing on Higher Thoughts. I release it every week. Somewhere, every week, Michael somewhere does around an Saturday. And he'll, and for the people that want more interaction with us, Michael's taking care of that on that show. Like if you guys yeah. ask questions, you want to know more behind the scenes stuff about us or our podcast, right. he answers all that stuff regularly on the show. So you get a lot of that interaction, the personal yeah. interaction with him. Right. It's a way for me to timely respond and kind of set aside a time so you can get more up to date. I know a lot of people who find a podcast and then you go back and binge. So you feel like you got to get caught up before you can interact that's, yep. that's not always true. You can hit us up. It's cool. People love your show, man. I constantly seeing comments. I think uh, some people are even just patrons to listen to your show at this point. Maybe. Oh well, well that's awesome. You never know. Hey, man. Whatever it takes. We got to get them in the door. You know. Hell yeah. <clears throat> All right. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. So we're doing. Was it one? How many active patrons we have? Somewhere in the six hundreds. Yeah, it dropped because it's a little after payday. You know how it goes. Yeah, you know how it goes. Uh, we understand. Six eighteen. Yeah, so one, between 1 and 618, that's how many active patrons we're at right now. We're going to pick one of those random people, and that person is getting anything they want from one of our stores. So let's start the drum roll. Ready? Number 218. 218. Who is 218? 218. 218. Are they active? Are they up to date with their payment? Alina Chong Lieber. Alina Chong Lieber. I hope I'm Congratulations. Right. Alina Chong, or maybe Lieber? Uh, yes. Active, okay. Yes. Congratulations, Alina. All good. Uh, send us, uh, what you want from one of our stores. Mm-hmm. Go, go ahead and peruse, pick anything you want. Where are our know. stores? Uh, redbubble.com. Redbubble.com. Slash true crime guys. Slash true crime guys. If you go on there and you click the portfolio tab, mm-hmm. okay, that website is the hardest it's one. It's a little confusing to it, navigate, it's right? super. If you go on the portfolio tab on our homepage, True Crime Guys homepage, you can see all the designs. It's all of our designs since we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's just different things. Some of them are like inside jokes for certain cases. Some of them are, are more broad things. But you click on the design, and then you can see all the different products that they offer in that design. Like Most people have no idea how much is on there, really. Right. There's like mouse pads, mugs, hoodies, shirts. Like There's all kinds of stuff that they offer, and they just put our logo on it, and you guys order directly from them. I've seen people that have bought the mouse pad. It looks pretty legit. Yes, the mouse pad does look good. All this stuff, really. I think that was from King Custom, actually. Oh, okay. So, yeah, kingcustom.com. Search True Crime Guys on there. And that's not King, because sometimes when you say it, it sounds like King. It's oh, okay. Kin, right? K-I-N. Yeah. yeah. Kin Custom. Okay. I didn't realize it said like King. Sorry. Yeah. And yeah, that must be your accent. Uh Search true crime guys on there. But anything you want on there, uh, Alina, 
just hit us up and we'll get it sent out it, to you. And to keep it simple, if you just go to our website, truecrimeguys.com, you'll be able to find mm-hmm. the links for those stores, right? Absolutely. And at the bottom of every episode. And at the bottom of every, There you go. Just click the fucking links. Yeah, just How about click that? the fucking links. Yeah, what are you doing? Typing stuff in? Oh. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, so once again, congratulations, Alina. Right. And next week, do we have another freebie? We do. Okay. That's, that about does it. Anything, any last thoughts? I don't have any. Keep creeping? Keep, yes. Let's, let's tell them to keep Let's go creeping. with that. Let's go do that. that. Keep creeping. Just keep on creeping, peeps. Yeah. See you. See you. In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was True Crime Garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the Creeper Army We out here making murder True Crime Guys In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was True Crime Garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the Creeper Army. We out here making murder charming.